listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Let the Bible Speak. Today I want to resume our studies in Paul's first letter to Timothy. I want to read from chapter 5 and the verse number 17. First Timothy 5 and the verse number 17. The Word of God says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honour, especially they who labour in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labourer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before the judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. Amen. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Eternal God, help us now as we come to consider your word. Use it in the lives of all who are hearing this program. We pray, Lord, that the word of God would have a resting place, that it would be to the edifying of your people, and indeed to the conviction of those who remain outside of Christ. So bless us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. The presence of these pastoral epistles in the inspired scriptures implies undoubtedly that church life is very important. The Lord has seen fit to include First and Second Timothy and Titus in the Word of God so that we'd understand that it is important to have churches that are governed properly and churches that are governed for the well-being of God's people. It is the intent of Christ Jesus, the sole head and king of the church, to have his people cared for in the context of biblically ordered churches. There are some very real and tragic consequences when a local church is unbiblically governed. You may get a bullying and a domineering leadership that oppresses the Lord's people so that the Lord's people live in fear, not of God, but of man. If there is poor leadership in the other direction, You can have a rebellious and a divisive congregation. The church can be torn apart as each party seeks to get their own way. Of course, we must remember that the Lord's apostles, they carried the authority of the Lord himself. People like the Apostle Paul were sent by Christ. They speak for Christ. And so we as local churches, we live under the authority of the apostles and the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Christ is the sole head and king of the church. He inspired apostles to give us his will. And as we follow their instructions, so we follow in our obedience to Christ himself. And so we must listen to what Christ says through his apostles. And so we have here in this 
latter section of 1 Timothy 5, we have some very helpful instruction regarding the details of elders and some of the things regarding the biblical teaching on the subject of church eldership. We might think of this in terms of it being a study of practical uh, Presbyterianism. What does the Word of God say regarding the matter of Presbyterian government? Well, I just want to very quickly summarize these matters. First of all, note the role of the elder. The elder is mentioned in verse number 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. The word elder is the word from which we get our word Presbyterian. It is the word presbyteros. It denotes maturity. But when it is used of the church, it is not speaking so much of age as it is of spiritual maturity. It's apparent that the same men that we saw in chapter 3 are also in view here. In chapter 3, the word bishop is used. Here it is the word elder. And in the word of God, there are three words that are used synonymously for the elder. There is the word elder, the word pastor or shepherd, and the word overseer. Paul, writing to Titus in chapter 1, in verse number 5, says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city. And then in verse 7 he says, For a bishop must be blameless. Indicating, therefore, that the word elder and the word bishop are used synonymously by the Apostle Paul. And so it is here in 1 Timothy. The bishops in chapter 3 are the elders in view in chapter 5. When Paul would address the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he tells them to feed, to shepherd the flock and to take the oversight of the flock. These three terms that are used, they say something regarding the office of the elder. Uh, certainly the office requires some maturity. It is a role that is one of responsibility. They are to shepherd the flock of God and it carries authority. They are to take the oversight of the people of God. The role itself here in 1 Timothy 5 is defined by the one word rule. The role of the elder is to rule. It is an office of leadership. In Presbyterian government, it is the elders who rule the congregation, not the congregation ruling the church. Now, of course, a good church will uh, take great care regarding the opinions and the thoughts of those uh, within the congregation. But ultimately, God has assigned elders the responsibility of ruling the church under the guidance of the word of God. Apostolic authority coming from Christ himself is the rule whereby elders then oversee the church. But as leaders, they are to give direction, spiritual direction to the church. They are to, again, plan certain events in the church. They are to govern the atmosphere of the church, a church that is given to mission, to outreach, to biblical worship. All of these things are under the purvey of the elder. They are to make sure that the church is functioning in a biblical, spiritual fashion. They will at times be involved in the work of correction. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Those who are over them in the Lord are those who also admonish them. There is the duty of the elder to rule by correction. So there is direction, there is correction, and all must be done by compassion. The word to rule and the word to take care of are used synonymously in chapter 3 verse 5. 
and that word to take care of is used regarding the care that the Good Samaritan uh, exercises on the injured party in Luke chapter 10. So the elders are to rule, and indeed all elders are to rule. First Timothy 5 verse 17 gives, gives us a, a distinction here. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honour, especially they who laboured in the word and doctrine. All elders are to rule, but some will labour in the word. All must be apt to teach, but some will labour in the word uh, in the sense that the labouring in the word is their occupation, it is their vocation, their full-time occupation. And those who get this double honour are those who laboured in the word and we'll say more of that shortly but in this role of the elder we see there is parity in the office all stand with the equal authority as a, a leader as a ruler they are equal and they have this shared responsibility to rule the church of christ for the lord's people hebrews 13 verse 17 gives us the other side of this where the word of God tells us there, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. So we uh, understand that church membership is the visible expression of people's submission to eldership rule. People who are willing to practice biblical doctrine and live under the oversight of elders, they express that in a determination to commit themselves to a local church. And we often refer to that in terms of communicant membership. It is the will of God that every Christian should live in formal submission to an eldership. That is what God believes to be for the good of his people, that we live under the guidance and under the rule and the care, indeed, of a biblically ordered eldership. So having thought about the role of the elder, note secondly the respect for the elder. The next matter here is this matter of respect. Respect should be earned. Let the elders that rule well. I don't think the idea here is that there are those who rule well and get double honour. And there are those who rule badly and get single honour. We'll see the concept of double honour shortly. But for now we should just see that the word honour here carries the idea of respect. But this respect is to be given to those who earn it by ruling well. They perform their function well. Not, not perfectly, but well. This respect is not conditioned on whether you may like the individual or not. But if they rule well, then hopefully the membership will like their elders. But somebody may not be your particular cup of tea in terms of personality. But if they're appointed by God and they rule well, then it is your duty to respect those that have the rule over you. And such earned respect will then in turn be demonstrated. It will be demonstrated in terms of how you may speak to and about your elders. There will be a caution to speak ill. It will be very mindful that these are men that we understand have a, an authority over us in the things of God. And they've been called to God, by God to this particular position. If we speak about elders disrespectfully, we may be guilty of sin, for we are questioning God's work in raising up certain men to the office. But ultimately this respect is shown in Hebrews 13, in the words we've just read, in terms of obedience and submission. We are to obey them that have the rule, and we are to submit ourselves. 
These things can be seen practically in the Lord's work when those in the church will use their elders, their, their church session, for counsel and for direction. The Lord's people will not seek to live according to their own wisdom. They will see the wisdom in a multitude of counsellors and they'll, they'll use those that God has appointed over them. They'll use them to give direction, advice and to impart the wisdom that God has given them from the word of God. Such counsel should be listened to. It should be considered very carefully. It ought not to be the norm that when the elders of a church would give direction and counsel, that that counsel is ignored and disregarded. So what about the matter of the remuneration of the elder in the third place in this passage? Well, we're told here that those who rule well are to be counted of double honour. I think the sense here of this double honour is that it has this sense of remuneration. Verse 18 clearly leads out of verse 17. Uh, Verse 17 refers to those who are labouring in the word and doctrine. Uh, They receive double honour. And then for the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. Thus in some way, verse 17 has to do with money. That the one who labours is to receive the maintenance that enables him to do his labour. Honour can indeed also be translated with the word price. And the Bible indeed says that we're bought with a price, we're bought with honour. And so the word honour in verse 17 can refer to monetary remuneration. Now some would deny the biblical place of paying for those who labour in the word. But these are biblical principles. Caring for the souls of men is a labour, it ought to be a labour. It ought to involve toil, toil in the word and toil and in doctrine. And as such, the labourers should be remunerated that those who are labouring in the gospel are those who ought to be living off the gospel. Paul uses a biblical image from Deuteronomy chapter 25, referring to the muzzling of the ox treading out the corn. The circular stone that was used to tread the corn and the ox that went round in the circle moving that circular stone, the ox was allowed to eat some of the corn. And thus, Paul uses that principle, that the one who is labouring in the work should be able to live from the work. And then, interestingly, Paul quotes the Lord's words in Luke chapter 10. The labour is worthy of his reward. And just in passing, don't miss the opportunity to see here that Paul refers to Luke chapter 10 as scripture. For the scripture saith, and the labour is worthy of his reward. Clearly the principle is, that the teaching elder should be paid to allow him to labour without the distractions of employment or discontentment. It is important that the elder will be free from secular employment so that he can give himself fully to the word of God. This portion does not disallow ruling elders to be maintained, but it is clearly emphasising the importance that teaching elders have the freedom to labour in the word. It is not so much that the people of God are paying their pastor, their minister, but it is that they are freeing their pastor and their minister from secular employment so they can give themselves to the word of God. And such is for the good of the Lord's people. Laziness in the ministry is a disgrace. It should not be viewed as an easy calling. But those who are involved in the 
The ministry of the word of God should be those who, who break sweat, as it were, over their labours to understand the scriptures and then to teach them to those under their care. That leads to the next matter that Paul deals with, where we're very quickly summarising these verses. We've thought about the role and the respect and the remuneration of the elder. But then Paul goes on to talk about the rebuke of the elder. Verse 20, he says, Them that sin rebuke before all. You see, the matters of respect and remuneration must never lead to the pastor elder as being viewed as untouchable. They are not above sin. Tragically, there have been far too many instances where teaching elders have committed gross sin. Here we have instruction in the word of God that those who sin are to be dealt with fairly. But they are also to be dealt with. The sin of the eldership is not to be ignored. In the matter of two to three witnesses is clearly a biblical one. Paul says, against an elder receive not an accusation but before two or three witnesses. That's a reference to Deuteronomy 19 verse 15. Where it says, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. It's interesting in 1 Timothy 5 that the distinction here has to do with accusations coming from two or three witnesses, not just the guilt itself being corroborated. I think Paul's words recognise the potential for harm being caused to the Lord's work through the practice of mudslinging. Great damage is done to the Lord's work by throwing out accusations against ministers and elders. Did you hear what so-and-so did? These accusations may be completely unsubstantiated, but yet the mud sticks and harm is done to the cause of Christ. Paul recognises here the possibility of an elder receiving false accusations. And now just in passing, two people bringing such an accusation does not make the accusation right and does not imply guilt. And we think of the Lord Jesus himself, how people brought accusations against him, but they were false witnesses. However, it is the right start to the process that there should not be accusations received against an elder, but by two or three witnesses. Such a passage indicates the tragic possibility of an elder sinning and bringing reproach upon the cause of Christ. If they are rebuked and do not repent, uh, that is, if they keep on sinning, them that sin keep on sinning, then they are to be publicly rebuked. The sin of the elder should not be swept under the carpet or ignored just because of who they are or the role they play in the church. There ought to be no preferential treatment as Paul says do nothing by partiality there must not be a preferring of one above another all should be treated with equality in the church of Christ the elders should have a fair trial as should every member dealing with sin is more important than maintaining status there may be arguments for an elder's sin to be ignored It may be seen as something that would disrupt the stability of the church. But it is more important to deal with their sin for their own soul's sake than it is to maintain their status or the stability of the visible church. Christ Jesus shed his blood for sin. And the church must never be a place where sin is treated lightly or ignored. God values holiness with the value he places upon the blood of his dear son. Oh, it is... Right for elders to walk in fear, to walk in the fear of God, 
and to fear falling into sin that would lead to public reproach. A church that is prepared to deal with the sins in the eldership is a church that is prepared to deal with sin. It is a church that values the work of Christ. That leads to one last thing today. That is the recognition of an elder. Verse 22 through 25 deal with that subject. In light of what we've just noted, verse 22 is not surprising. Lay hands suddenly on no man. The danger of elders sinning or unsuitable elders is very real. and Therefore there is the requirement for caution in the ordination of elders. Lay hands suddenly on no man. This laying of hands is that symbolic act we saw in chapter 4 verse 14. And it should not be done in haste. There should be caution in the appointment and the ordination of men to the office of the elder. There are several reasons for this caution. There is the importance of holiness in the Lord's work. It is wrong to promote unsuitable men. In so doing, you may, condone, you may condone or encourage their sin. Neither be partaker of other men's sins, verse number 22. If men are appointed to the eldership who are guilty of sin, well, then you may embolden them in their sinful ways, and such as, of course, against the very word of God. There's also the need for personal holiness. Paul tells Timothy, keep thyself pure. It's the duty of the elder to exercise personal purity and so therefore if that is the case then the church leadership must have the highest standard of holiness caution is required so that unsuitable men are not pointed to the eldership in such a way that it would impair the purity of the local church we are to keep ourselves pure holiness is vital we ought to do all we can to have holy men in office. Sin hinders the blessing of God. When you think of the sin in the camp that Achan committed and how the Lord's blessing was hindered. I should make a comment regarding verse number 23, where Paul says to Timothy, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and then often infirmities. It's hard to know how that fits in the context but I do believe this section is dealing with the matter of the appointment of elders. And so Paul, having exhorted Timothy to keep himself pure, it seems to be that Timothy is concerned that the taking of alcohol may lead to impurity. Now, what we see in verse number 23 is not an encouragement for social alcohol, but rather in the times in which Timothy is living, there were troubles with the water supply and Timothy perhaps had other medical reasons. And therefore it seemed to be that a little wine could be consumed medicinally for Timothy without that hindering his purity. This, I believe, is not an argument against uh, the position of total abstinence. It is simply a personal word to Timothy that he not misview uh, purity in such a way that he would hinder his physical well-being. And so what you see here is that Paul then returns to the matter of ordination. He says some men's sins are open beforehand, going before the judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that otherwise cannot be hid 
Paul is still dealing with the issue of caution in the appointment of elders. There are four groups of people in view here. There are those whose sins are obvious, hence they are not for eldership. There are those whose sins are hidden, at least for a time from public view. And in light of that, then caution must be exercised when it comes to appointing elders. Similarly, there are those whose good works are manifest publicly. They burn brightly and they're obvious. But there are others who quietly behind the scenes do much for the Lord. And given time, their qualities will show. And so such a man who may quietly be working for the Lord may in time be clearly marked out as being qualified to serve in the role of elder. Yet as I close today, there is a general principle here that you must all heed. Oh yes, it's been my desire today to highlight some of the matters regarding Presbyterian church government. But these last verses indicate that your sins will be found out in the light of God's judgment. Romans 2.16 says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Oh, these words, they, uh, they bring a comfort to the Lord's faithful people. Their good works cannot be hid. They will be seen in the day of judgment, a word for Christ in the ear of some sinner, or a cup of water for some saint the Lord sees. Nothing is hid from him. But at the same sense, all men's sins will go to judgment. And if you're listening to my words today, and you are in the position that your sins have not been covered by the blood of Christ, I urge you to get to Christ today. Your sins will find you out. We have seen that the church is not to be a place where sin is ignored. Sin is against God. Sin brings about the judgment of God. Sin is against the law of God. And Christ died so that those who are guilty of sin can indeed be forgiven. But the very fact that the Son of God dies upon a cross is indication of how seriously God takes sin. And so as you think you can live your life without having to consider God, the day will come when you will have to stand before God in judgment. Every secret word, every secret thought will be laid bare on that day. And the only hope you have is being found under the covering of Christ's perfect righteousness. He lived and died that you might be forgiven. And so I encourage you, seek Christ today. We thank the Lord for his church. We thank the Lord for his care of his people. May you know the Lord's blessing today. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.